you know, this is a song uh, that was recorded in 1995. Can you believe in two years' time, the song not in two, in three years' time, actually, uh, the song is going to be 30 years old. It will be 30 years since it was first released. But released. Uh, but it certainly is one of those classics. And um, it was written by Michael Jackson. Its title is uh, The Earth Song. And when he wrote it, this is part what part of what he said in interviews about this song. He says, I remember writing it when I was in Austria in a hotel and I was feeling so much pain and so much suffering of the plight of the planet Earth. As for me, this is Earth song because I think nature is trying so hard to compensate for man's mismanagement of the Earth. And with the ecological unbalance going on and a lot of problems in the environment, I think Earth feels the pain and she has wounds. And it's about time, some of the joys, and it's about some of the joys of the planet as well. And this is my chance to pretty much let people hear the voice of the planet. That's what inspired that song. And I wonder how many of us sit and think, you know, we are putting our planet through so much pain and anguish and, and have uh, that lens uh, that that perspective that doesn't see the earth simply as a, a tool for us to be able to use and get by and have convenient lives and not think about what the cost of that convenience is to the planet. Let me welcome onto the show uh, Dr. Stephen Hillary, who is the founder of Terrestre Afrique. Uh, Dr. Hillary, good morning to you. Thank you for your time today. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me. Magoma Likalagala is Director of Earthlife Africa, Johannesburg. Uh, Mr. Likalagala, good morning to you. Good morning. Oh, um, sorry. Sorry about that, Ms. Likalagala. Good morning. <laughs> good morning and good morning to your listeners. And, and also, thank you for hosting us. Oh, great. And, and joining us later will be Francesca de Gasparis, who is with uh, SAFCIE. Let me let me let me begin firstly with um, Dr. Hillary and uh, perhaps give give a context, you know, of where we find ourselves today. The alarm bells have long been rung about the state of climate of of of, of the climate, what the effects of an effectively warmer globe are, and now in parts of Southern Africa, we're beginning to see it. We're beginning to feel it. And the, the conversation then becomes a lot more relevant than, than what it has been. Yes, yes. <clears throat> I mean, definitely, um, I think the, the changes um, are coming a lot faster. And, and South Africa has definitely been one of the countries who's um, already suffered uh, from uh, you know, climate change with uh, the massive drought that happened in Cape Town when the city almost ran out of water and then the recent floods um, in KZN. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the you know the state the the, um, the UN uh, released uh, its report at the beginning of this year, and basically we have ten years left to uh, you know change the uh, curb uh, the the change before we reach the point of of no return. Uh, <clears throat> that point of no return means that. 
dramatic climate events like what we've seen uh, recently in um, in KZN will just uh, happen more often and probably even more violent. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, the thing is that, you know, nature, nature is nature. Nature will always uh, be there and it will always adapt. It has in the past. Uh, and uh, the, the challenge is more us. Uh, you know, nature doesn't need us, but we do need nature. Um, so we need to we need to make a change in the way we consume and uh, the way we use uh, resources. Um, because if we don't, then it's um, hundreds of millions of people that will be forced under poverty line, and um, you know, millions of species of plants and animals that may just disappear. Dr. Hillary, why is it that you think we haven't seen the amount of commitment in actual fact, as in what is actually done uh, to try and implement some of the steps that have been promised, whether from big multinational organizations, from governments, um, because 10 years is very little time. And yet when we look at where the conversation is, there's still a lot of promises and not enough action. Yes, well, I think it's uh, it's two things. It's, uh, you know, governments that have been very slow in terms of um, implementing or forcing um, change onto companies um, uh, because it's it's not a very popular um, action. It, it will, you know, require... Uh, companies to make um, a lot of changes, which also means a lot of investment. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's also the consumer, uh, although this has really changed <clears throat> in the last uh, in the last ten years, uh, but for a very long time, uh, you know, the consumer is in, in the comfort zone, and and it's it's a diff it's difficult to grasp what you know what is going to happen. It feels like it's so far away and. I think now that people can see, um, start, you know, seeing some of these changes and the impact, uh, people are a little, uh, a lot more aware. Uh, <clears throat> I think part of also why um, changes are um, um, aren't happening, um, you know, there's a lot of greenwashing uh, going on, and I think that's also sort of from a consumer point of view, slowing down uh, that change. What is greenwashing? Greenwashing is when uh, when a company or a brand um, makes false claim or exaggerated claims about their eco friendliness and their sustainability, <laughs> when in fact uh, <clears throat> they aren't really uh, doing it or they are they aren't as sustainable or eco friendly as they they claim, mm. and that causes a lot of you know confusion or skepticism from the skepticism from the consumer. We see it a lot with uh, packets that sometimes products are contained in. There'll be a little label of the, on the bottom there saying eco-friendly, biodegradable. Are you saying that some of those yeah. labels should not be taken at face value? Yes, especially with the with plastic, especially with packaging <clears throat> and uh, and plastic packaging. You know, on on all plastic packaging, uh, you have a recyclable logo. <clears throat> Sorry. You have a recyclable logo, um, so people, you know, people feel like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm buying. It's it's an eco-friendly packaging. It will be recycled. I'm putting it in a different bin. I'm doing my my bit. Um, 
But what companies are not telling the consumer is that most of these single-use plastic packaging aren't being recycled. Um, according to National Geographic, only 14% of the plastic ever made has been recycled. Um, it's a one, one garbage truck of single-use plastic packaging that end up in the ocean every minute. Uh, and that plastic end up um, in, you know, well, in the ocean, but not only in the ocean uh, anymore. We, we find it in raindrops and food and the air we breathe, even in, uh, in our own tissues, you know, our, our own body. Um, so that, that's a typical example of you know, companies trying to make it sound like uh, their, their packaging is eco-friendly. Um, bioplastic is, <clears throat> is another sort of new, you know, trendy alternative to real plastic, and it is biodegradable and all this. Uh, but the problem is that you're using farmland to uh, grow corn to make these, uh, these plastic, and um, the, the need for food will increase by uh, up to 75% by 2050. So using farmland to, 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 you know, to do packaging is not a really sustainable option. Mm. Makoma, let me bring you in here and perhaps give us the perspective and, 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 and specific details for where South Africa is in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think before I start, maybe let me just bring in a little bit of the background from why we 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 having F Day or celebrating F Day today. Around 1972, um, a number of governments came together because uh, there was that kind of observation that uh, the environment is changing. And then that um, conference, when it met, um, the, the theme was building a healthy planet for the prosperity of all, and that, that's our responsibility and our opportunities. But then that conference also ushered in an environmental uh, governance um, and as, as part of what can be done so that uh, we can protect uh, the planet. But then the thing is, what we are asking ourselves is that it's been 50 years that um, this conference took place and there's so much that has happened in between. And uh, we know that uh, from um, that, that has happened, but that it is fixed to creating a healthy planet for the prosperity to all. Mm. But here in South Africa, I must say that we have good um, uh, legislation, uh, environmental governance. Makoma, let me do this. I'm going to give you a chance to continue. I'm, I'm just going to quickly head over to the news desk. Uh, it's 10.30. Luyanda Maume is standing by with the latest news headlines. We'll continue with Makoma Likalakala, who is with Earthlife Africa. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, I certainly hope I didn't make any heart stop with uh, that slight error there. Platinum, $963 per ounce at this hour. Let's continue our conversation looking at Earth Day, where uh, on the line is Magomali Kalakala, Director of Earth Life Africa, Johannesburg, and Dr. Stephen Hillary, who's founder of Terrestre Afrique. So, Magoma, you were just running us through where South Africa is in this conversation around climate change. Yes. Um, continuing, I was saying that Sarasca has got, and following 
was the theme of um, UNEP or the SACOM meeting. And we are actually far ahead. Karakta has got the National Environmental Management Act. We have the climate change response policy. And uh, we currently have a climate change plan that has got to be approved by cabinet. And we also have mitigation and adaptation strategies that would assist us also in protecting the environment. But however, what is missing here is uh, the political will to implement what we have on paper or as our legislation. And also for active citizenry from um, South Africa. Yes, um, in the past week, because of the climate change in these natural disasters, we've had a lot of people coming up and talking about what um, this is not a right, this is not supposed to be happening. But there's also a lot of other issues around that. So what I think is important is for us to be as South Africans to also play our part and not just let um, decisions and implementation take at a, a level that we don't have control at. So these are some of the issues, but I think um, the other thing that has come into, that, that would also assist is that uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa had appointed a 22-member committee uh, which is people coming from all different sectors of society to advise him on a path to what a transition to a low carbon development. I think with the previous speaker was speaking about consumerism, and consumerism has got a lot of facets, um, but also has got to do with um, uh, the extractives that we have, um, the amount of, of plastic that we have, and also not living sustainably or or, or, or just um, just living in a sense uh, in a wasteful manner. Uh, South Africans are now not um, re- reusing or recycling as, as they used to do uh, in the earlier days. Now we are faced with mass media which um, promotes consumerism. But the other issue is that what South Africa can do now to protect is to actually. Um, uh, hold or stop fossil fuel extraction, particularly um, coal mines, coal fired power stations, or dirty energy that would not be of benefit to the people of South Africa. Today, people are saying there's a lot of load shedding, but we do have an uh, abundant natural resource that we could use to convert to energy. So, those are some of the things where we are and what we can do. Makoma, when you talk about what it is that um, we as ordinary members of the public can be doing to also be part of this fight for a better um, a better climate, it's so important because it's easy to lay the blame on government for not implementing its policies. And, and you've outlined what some of those are. But I think for the purposes of this conversation, let's also turn the spotlight on us as citizens and as consumers, as you put it, because consumerism is driving the spending patterns, which is driving uh, you know, the use of plastic in many ways. How can we begin to change our behavior? Um, I think there's a lot that we can learn from, from the past and also that we can intersect with the present. Um, one thing is the type of food we eat today. We no longer have food from the land. We have 
food sometimes that is manufactured um, in laboratories. So this is not uh, really very healthy for us. But uh, I know that you say what should individuals do, but what is important is for us as individuals to, to be active citizens, to be aware of, of, of the, the, the laws that are there in the country, to be aware of our actions. But I hate the fact that most of the time when uh, people talk about environmental degradation, uh, that would be pinpointed to individuals. But at the end of the day, it's not really individuals, it's the big industries that are putting us in a situation that we find ourselves in. If uh, an industry like Sasso, um, from whatever they produce, um, pollutes the environment, it's the people that suffer. So, and uh, with the kind of legislation that we have, uh, people have the right to raise issues and to, to hold them accountable. But then we find that this is ignored uh, at the expense of so-called development, but that development is not of benefit to ordinary people. Um, the other thing is that people are always being blamed, and uh, we find that we are not given an alternative. But then it's also for us to demand those alternatives so that we can be able to be part of uh, protecting the environment. But the, however, the simple things that people can do in their homes, they can do individually. But the blame should not land only on individuals. Mm. The blame should be much more on on the industry. And I know people only say we only say that you can't just say the government does this, government has got to do this. You also have um, a responsibility. Yes, we do have that responsibility. But that responsibility also lies on the fact that those that are in the position and um, uh, um, the higher decision making. We should also be able to listen to ordinary people as to what is best that people want, rather than them deciding uh, on what on, on what to do. I can make an example about uh, the meal that we always consume in our homes. It, it, it has got um, GMO, chemical modified, and this is not good for the health of ordinary people. But however, we find that already. Our menu has got GMO, and that is a cause for concern. But because a lot of people don't know, they are not aware of this, so it becomes also the responsibility of the individuals, the organizations that are aware of this, to also raise awareness so that people can be able to take action and hold those that are implementing this or enforcing this accountable. Makoma Likalakala will continue in a moment. I'll also give Francesca an opportunity to weigh in. She's the executive director of SAFSI after this break. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. We continue the conversation focusing on Earth Day. Francesca de Gasparis is executive director of SAFSI and joins us now on the program. Francesca, I hope you can hear me. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Thank you. Let's talk about, you know, we've heard the context in terms of where we are as uh, the entire world in as far as the extent that we've fallen behind in meeting the targets around sustainability, around, you know, mitigating the adverse effects of climate change. Let's look beyond what happens in the next 10 years if we are unable to turn things around. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we already are experiencing 
what's going to happen. Um, but we will be experiencing it in uh, more severity and greater frequency. That is the impact of climate change. So, for example, day zero here in Cape Town a few years ago was an example of a city completely without any water resources, mm. um, which was devastating for the economy, devastating for many members of society, and had huge um, knock-on effects um, into education, into health, and so on. We're seeing it right now with the tragic and devastating floods in Durban. You know, what's happening there and the impact it's having on individuals' lives, on the economy again, on people's ability just to really uh, sustain themselves and their families is, is severe. And the loss of life, well, that's just going to increase as well. So when we talk about what's happening if we don't make the changes, we're talking about a environment that is not viable for human life so and not viable for us to make the normal changes that we would be able to do it's it's actually an economic crisis as well as a humanitarian crisis um we would need many many more gifts of the givers to be helping us to survive that time so it's not really a negotiation that we can be having while we talk about the climate change negotiations where countries are trying to say, I'll do this if you do that, that horse trading obviously will continue. But we will be more and more having to respond and react to crisis. And at a certain point, it will be completely overwhelming. Um, and you'll see mass immigrations to other parts of the world where it's less severe. Um, it could really destroy whole countries' economies. So. Uh, we, it's a very, very serious thing, climate change. It's not something that we can avoid, and it's not something that we can, you know, um, we don't want to go there, is what all the scientists are telling us, and they're telling us we need to act now. It's not something we can say, okay, well, we'll deal with the crisis when it comes. No, it's, uh, you know, it's a tipping point. Um, and because if you look at the whole world as a one system, it's not necessarily entirely our choice. It's also what other countries do, and that's why these conversations are so important. But we can't wait for others to take action first. We've got to show leadership, and we've got to start doing something today, not tomorrow. Francesca, if we look at what organizations such as the African Union often say about uh, this issue and, and carbon emissions are really a central focus when we talk about um, the, the dangers of, 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 of emissions from fossil fuels. They'll say that the developed world is the, 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 the biggest player in as far as, you know, the carbon in as far as carbon emissions are concerned and that they are the ones that need to be reducing uh, the, the usage of fossil fuels. And yet, um, we see the devastation and the impact of that on a continent like Africa. And there are big questions about who must pay what, who must invest what in these transitions, a green transition, whether it's around electricity or whatever other materials that we may be looking at. Yeah, I mean, it's, they have a very good point. The historic debt, the historic debt is for countries who developed in the Industrial Revolution, who used fossil fuels. That is their debt. They've used up the capacity for much of Africa 
to use fossil fuels for its development. However, South Africa is not one of those countries. We here are, I think, the 13th biggest uh, fossil fuel emitter. Our economy has been run and built on coal. So we aren't, we are part of the, although we straddle both worlds in a way, because we still have a lot of historic issues due to apartheid, due to the inequalities in our country, where there is a need for more development. However, we have a very unequal society, and much of South Africa is incredibly wealthy from the fossil fuel industry. So we are in the same boat as you know the other BRICS countries who have got well-developed economies, who've got, who have used fossil fuels, and we do need to uh, reduce our emissions. That's South Africa's challenge, absolutely, and, and it's a big challenge. You'll see, in fact, the energy sector in South Africa is one of the most, uh, you'll see, contentious spaces. Um, you'll see in the press every day uh, the Minister of uh, Mineral and Energy Resources sort of fighting with local communities and, and, and NGOs standing up and saying, no, this isn't good enough, because it's such a contested area for South Africa. We've got to break our, our absolute uh, economic reliance on coal, on gas, on nuclear, in order for us to become climate resilient, in order for us to no longer be emitting so highly, and for us to have an economy that's not based on uh, fossil fuels. You know, it's not just about the emissions. It's about mm -hmm. us having the opportunity to grow and develop as a country beyond um, this industry. And that's really where we should be focusing our energy. And that's where the rest of Africa needs to focus its energy, because most of Africa isn't able to develop its uh, gas and oil and coal resources, which it has much of, if we're going to stay within the bounds of not the disastrous climate change that we were talking about earlier. So they have an opportunity cost or an opportunity loss. So they do need the, the resources, the technology, the support, uh, and South Africa too. You know, it's not that we, we are not in the same boat. We are, but we have a slightly different challenge in terms mm -hmm. of um, our resources. Makuma, when we look at even things staying, particularly with the issue of energy, when we look at documents such as uh, our country's integrated um, resource plan and the measures around even the, the, the transition to green energy, it's not going to be done in 10 years. And, you know, that, of course, uh, the processes even around that seem to be de delayed as the debates around uh, whether we should be transitioning from coal to cleaner fuel at a particular rate as that debate rages on. How significant is that going to be for where we find ourselves as a country in the next 10 to 20 years? Unfortunately, the, this is long overdue. Um, the integrated resource plan is outdated as it is. It's supposed to be updated uh, to align with um, what the country has committed itself to internationally, particularly with the Paris Agreement. And uh, when we talk about the green economy, how green is that economy that we're talking about? Is it just going to be greenwashing, where we would be told, where an impression would be given? that uh, this would be moving away from um, um, dirty energy uh, like coal and nuclear, uh, 
And uh, we hear a lot of arguments, people saying that um, um, for us to be able to transition or to be part of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, particular technologies are important. Yes, those technologies would be those clean technologies like um, solar or wind, but never nuclear at all. It's very high power intensive. Um, it's just unfortunate that um, this was supposed to be done long ago. Sarafka knew that, and we also knew that, and that's why activists have been pounding, including going to an extent of taking our government to court to ensure that uh, this process of transition takes place. The pace that we had of uh, moving uh, is now very limited. We have now to rush which is not also very healthy, because if you rush for the transition, you're not going to have a just transition. Makoma Likalakala, I know you have to dash off. We'll leave it there with you uh, for this morning. As she is the director of EarthLife Africa, Johannesburg. I'm going to take a quick break and then I'll take your calls on 011-714-2006. Annika Gertz, I'll kick it off with you.